Up next at 6, it's JR Morning with Guy Gordon, Jamie Edmonds, and Lloyd Jackson. This is First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale. Well, not to get too ahead of ourselves here, Renee. Yes. But picture this, all right? Paint it. Chicago Bears come in this Sunday Uh to Ford Field. The Lions bulldoze them. Uh, I don't even know who their quarterback is. I think uh, he was selling hot dogs at the beginning of the season. We make we make quick work of the Chicago Bears. Uh-huh. And then come Thanksgiving, the Green Bay Packers roll into town. The Detroit Lions are 8-2, and two, and that place is probably going to be going off. Oh, I, I mean, it's easy to picture. How is yeah, it not it, easy to picture after yesterday? And and it's so weird to kind of be looking ahead with optimism. I I think a lot of us as Lions Instead of pessimism? (laughs) Yeah, right. We're we're still trying to to come to terms with this. But, I mean, this is such a fun team to watch. I mean, mean, number one, David Montgomery was having a hell of a season at running back. He goes down. Jameer Gibbs gets it it going in his absence. David Montgomery comes back looking like friggin' Barry Sanders. Uh, We have a true two-headed running attack for the for the first time in forever i mean we haven't had a legit running back in a long long time let alone two uh that that can uh alternate and uh you know earlier this season the defense kept the team in the game while the offense got it together and then this week it was the offense's turn to to care of the defense and and that's what good teams do and uh uh, you you kind of like the time change, I guess. Um, normally we're playing either in prime time or one p.m. I think we had one four o'clock game this this season, and uh, we had another one yesterday. I kind of felt like that was the sweet spot because one o'clock uh, is fine, but it kind of chops up the day a little bit. The evening games are way too late for us, especially with this schedule. But four o'clock felt nice. I didn't hate it. It was all right. I- I liked four o'clock. The only thing I didn't like about four o'clock is after the one o'clock game, you kind of have that buffer. It's like, oh, Sunday's not almost over. There's a whole nother slate of games. Uh, as soon as, as yesterday's four o'clock game was over, you heard that dang 60 minutes clock going. You're like, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Weekend's over. Fun's over. You know what, though? You know what I want to say? You are uh, looking at the, the short-term goal. You're not being crazy because the announcers, and forgive me, I don't know who the announcers of the game were last night, but mm. they said we could see these guys in Vegas, referring to the Lions. You know what? I have this right here on my little handwritten note sheet. That was exactly what I was going to say. That was uh, Jim Nance. Yeah. As they were cutting away from the game and showing Riley Patterson's the replay of his game-winning field goal, he said, we could see this team in Las Vegas. Yep, so you heard that too. Oh, there we go. And you know what? And you know what? We are going to be hearing Lloyd sing later on. Um, It's what I look forward to. What a better way to kick off Monday. My week's not the same. And uh, Are you getting you know, emotional? Did I just hear your voice crack? <laughs> no, actually, uh, it's very dry out. Oh, is and, that what uh, it is? Yeah, it's not the first time my voice okay, cracked Mike. on this show. Uh, <laughs> see, look, my, my eyes are dry as a bone. But the other thing I thought was cool, speaking of the announcers, was hearing Tony Romo talk about being Dan Campbell's teammate uh, in Dallas and uh, how Dan Campbell was a captain as a backup, which which I think just speaks to his charisma and his leadership ability. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, so. it, it feels good to hear these stories. It feels good to hear the energy, even just coming from the announcers, to not hear them rail on us. <laughs> to right. hear them say nice things about Detroit. Right. Yeah, with all apologies to Emily Gale. But you're absolutely right, because here's the thing. You know, you, you start wondering, all right, this is very exciting for us, but how are we being looked at nationally? Right. And you're, you're you're 100% hearing Jim Nance say we might see this team in Las Vegas was very, very validating. Yeah. Um, now, the other big football team here in the state of Michigan, obviously the University of Michigan, we all heard by now the Big Ten suspended uh, – Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh from the sidelines. He can still coach during the week uh, for the remainder of the regular season due to the sign-stealing allegations. Didn't matter this week. They still beat Penn State. Michigan Board of Regents and Harbaugh, they filed a restraining order against the Big Ten and Commissioner Tony Battiti to overturn or delay the, the suspension, saying that the conference cannot take action if a, former, if a formal decision has not been made about whether or not there was an actual rule violated and that punishment would not be fair uh, because Michigan provided the Big Ten with enough evidence that other schools were actually stealing their signs as well. A story that you broke to me the other uh, last week there, Renee. Yeah. Uh, the Big Ten says that it does have enough evidence to prove that Michigan staffer Connor Stallion was traveling to opponent's game to illegally scout and steal signs, um, which you can do that in person. You can do that via film. You just can't travel. So my question is, Renee, did the Big Ten suspend Harbaugh because they thought he was involved? Or did they do it because it happened under his watch and they thought he needs to have better control of his of his program? Well, my husband and I were talking about this over the weekend. And the way he explained it to me is if you're the CEO of a company, you mm -hmm. need to know what your company is doing, Right. And ultimately, Jim Harbaugh is the CEO of the company. Yeah, and and I think that's probably the official explanation. Look, I tend to believe that you uh, that that Michigan was stealing signs. I tend to believe that Harbaugh at least knew about it, if not being involved in it. And I tend to believe that Michigan is absolutely not the only team doing it. And. Uh, I mean, my question is, did they have to wait until Harbaugh was actually on the plane to hand down the suspension? I mean, he would have traveled with the team anyway, but it seems kind of cowardly of the Big Ten yeah, to wait until he's on the on the airplane. Yeah. So it says, well, the Big Ten admitted there's no evidence implicating Harbaugh in the scheme. So th there is no evidence, but they suspended him anyway. So right. is it's isn't this premature? It does seem premature. And. You know, they've got they've got judges uh, assigned to this uh, restraining order. The, the original judge um, and I guess they're going to make a decision on this come Friday. So it's possible Jim Harbaugh is back on the sidelines against Maryland. But the original judge that was going to hear this case, he recused himself because he's a former Michigan football player integrity uh. move. Uh, the current judge, though, does have an art degree from Michigan, but I don't oh. think that'll be an issue. Hmm. Sounds like but, it, it still sounds like there's conflict, though, that. that mm. Yeah, I mean, here, do I think that we should be tying up the judicial system with this? No. no, but I do think that maybe the NCAA should provide a a neutral third party to arbitrate. This I agree. Because, um, and then within an hour of the suspension coming down. Um, there were T-shirts being sold outside the big house. Now, obviously, there's a lot of T-shirts being sold online, but there's a lot of free Harbaugh T-shirts actually being sold in person. 
my question is, what if this suspension ever came down? What, what right. would they do with all that? Inv- what would they have done with all those T-shirts? Send them overseas to the kids that need clothes like they do with the uh, Super Bowl shirts for that the was my other question. team. That I don't know. Question. The, but, the losing uh, team? I don't know. I don't, but, I mean, look, that was a gamble, and it paid off. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, and, and look, here's the thing. I grew up a Sparty. You know, I kind of I kind of enjoy needling Michigan football fans, but I don't know if if the Big Ten says they have the evidence to suspend Harbaugh, you got to release it, because at this point, it looks like they're just caving to the pressure of of the P.O. assistant directors and and NCAA football or uh, Big Ten football coaches. Um, But I got to tell you, Sharon Moore, after that, uh, (laughs) at, at that that post game interview where he was dropping f bombs and s bombs, uh, you know I I I I kind of like that dude. I don't know. There's yeah. there, there's something about there's something about a dude just swearing and saying that he he loves his players. He was and, in the moment, loved, <laughs> right? I can understand why um, that team would run through a wall for him. And uh, there was a suspect that was brought into custody in the death of the Samantha Wall murder uh she was the president of the downtown jewish synagogue who was murdered um a a couple of weeks ago outside of her apartment the police have been saying it wasn't a hate crime and they brought a a suspect in and what happened with that renee Uh, he was released without charges the arrest was made in the kalamazoo area detroit police announced wednesday that he had been taken into custody for samantha sources confirm that he had been released without charges over the weekend after being held for 72 hours they executed a search warrant at his home in the past week and yeah he was released so we're kind of back at square one as far as we know yeah, and I mean that that's a dis, that's a disappointment for the community obviously. Um it's it's a it's a disappointment for people who may not feel safe until they have an arrest and it's got to be av- uh, absolutely devastating for her friends and family yeah. looking for closure. All right, we got to hit a break. It's first thing Mike Parsons, Renee Vitali, WJR. Renee, I need you to help me with something. What's that? What month is it? November. What month is Groundhog's Day? Um Shoot, I don't remember. February? <laughs> yes, very good. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw you a curveball there. <laughs> I had to think about that one. <laughs> That's all right. You know what? I should have discussed that with you earlier. But I got it. Uh, Why do you, you ask? Did. Well, because it feels like Groundhog's Day in the House with another possible government shutdown looming. <laughs> if, <laughs> well, where's Bill Murray when you need him? Right. Um, if they can't reach an agreement on spending by Friday, um, we'll see another shutdown. House Speaker Mike Johnson is trying something a bit unorthodox. He unveiled a two-pronged stopgap proposal on Saturday. And I'm just going to read from the Associated Press article here because this this makes my brain hurt. Um, A document explaining Johnson's proposal to House Republicans obtained by the Associated Press said that funding for four spending bills would be extended until uh, January 19th. That's veteran programs, transportation, housing, agriculture, and energy would be part of the first extension and then funding for eight other spending bills, which includes defense, the state department, Homeland security, and other government agencies would extend until February 2nd. So, you know, I, like I said, Mike Johnson is, is in a tough place here. I, I applaud him for trying something different, 
But I, I got to say, I, I mean, if veterans programs run out of funding two weeks before the rest of the government, I could see that being a very bad look, especially since we just celebrated Veterans Day and just right. talking about all, all their sacrifices. Yeah, thanks, but uh, sorry about that. We're going to have to do this. Right. And, and honestly, there's a big part of me that just wants to ignore this story until Friday. I mean, you guys all figure it out amongst yourselves and come back to us when you have something that serves the American public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And go ahead. Uh, no, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, and, and, you know, can we can we finally pass something a little bit more permanent than a few months down the road? I, mean, I know. Eventually, Quit putting these Band-Aids on. I mean, eventually this instability is going to come back and bite us if it hasn't already, won't it? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we need something permanent. We can't just keep putting these Band-Aids on and shoving it to the back burner and go, oh, oh, here we are again. Like, figure this out. Or as they like to say, kicking the can down the road. Right. But, it's, but I, I mean, it's a cliche, but it, but it applies here. I mean, we can literally just go back um, to the – end of September, beginning of October, edit out Kevin McCarthy, edit in Mike Johnson, and just replay those tapes from now until Friday, right. give ourselves the morning off. But at least it's, you're saying he's trying something different, I suppose, for the time yeah. being. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know if he's still bound. We'll have to ask Guy this uh, later on. I, I don't know if he's still bound by those same rules that got Kevin McCarthy ousted. Um and so, I mean, he may be feeling the pressure of that. So we'll see. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully the, the, the whole speaker mess is not is not Groundhog's Day as well. Hopefully, hopefully Groundhog's Day stops now and there's no sequel. Right. Uh, you remember uh, remember Dr. Jack Kevorkian? Of course. Um, a package of bills was introduced last week that would allow terminally ill patients to medically end their own lives. The bill is known as the death with dignity legislation, and it would give people who have been given less than six months to live uh, the right to ask their doctor for uh, for the life ending medication. And I mean, Renee, I, I was real young when Dr. Jack Kevorkian was in the news. It, it's mm-hmm. one of the first news stories that I remember being um, aware of. I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard much more on assisted suicide here in the United States in the decades since. Um, when I was a kid, I thought the thought of physician-assisted suicide was, was horrific. But I don't know. Now as an adult, seeing loved ones suffer through terrible diseases that, that cause these long, painful deaths, you know, I, I'd, I'd be for this bill. I'm okay with it. You know, it, and here's the thing. Ten, there's 10 other states in this country that— it's legal. And if you've ever been through this horrific situation with a loved one, sometimes you just wish it would happen. As mm-hmm. awful as that sounds, just just let them go. I wish they would just pass. And, and this well, is a great option, in my opinion. Yeah. That, I that mean, could present itself. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you watch a loved one, you know, with with uh, a neurological disease or, or fighting cancer, Obviously, you're sad when they pass, but there's there's also some guilt because you feel a little bit of relief. There's a sense of relief. And here's the thing. Sometimes people are too tired to fight. They're in too much pain to fight. And, you know, if someone I love came to me and said they wanted to do this. Yeah, I'm, I, I might want them around for as long Selfishly, as possible. Selfishly, of course. Right. And I may want them to fight and hope for a miracle. But at that point, it's not up to me. 
But, Mike, we allow our pets. We make that decision. We, yes. You know? So, because it's inhumane to let them hang on. Why are we doing this? They're suffering. But it's okay to let a loved one, a human, go through that. But not yeah. our pets. That that makes zero sense, right? And, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of okay with this concept when it comes to hospice. It's not quite the same thing, right? I mean, hospice isn't – it's not hastening – it's not hastening the process, but essentially what it is is just trying to keep people comfortable until they pass. Right, right. Um, and, I mean, when you're dealing with something as as uncontrollable as your health, as uncontrollable as death, th- this might be the last sense of control that a human being feels like they have. Right. And, and I so, know that there there has to be a lot of regulations, you know, safeguards, a lot of consideration. The oh, you absolutely. know, of course, um, it's a decision obviously that's not taken lightly, and the person has to be of sound mind to make this decision. Um, but I, honestly, until you've been through it, it's very hard to speak on it. Um, but there's, you know, you just you would do anything to put that loved one in a better place. And and this, you know, this is one of those things that I feel is personally a great option for that loved one. You just want to do whatever you can. And sometimes this is the best option. Yeah. I mean, if if you know if if you are given six months to live and you know that those six months are going to be be filled with nothing but pain and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And it's heartbreaking um, to see them like that. Right. So, uh, look, I hope I hope I'm never in a position to make this decision. I think we all hope that right. um, we die p- peacefully in our sleep mm-hmm. at 95 after being uh, relatively healthy. But, um, yeah, the, these the, these are things that we have to think about, not only as we get older, but as our loved ones get older. So right. we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. And uh, I wonder what public sentiment is on this, because. You know, back in the early 90s, people were aghast. People called Dr. Jack Kevorkian Dr. Death. Of course. Well, you know, and he wasn't doing it in the, the greatest of situations. Of course, there was the death van, you know, yeah. the death mobile. It wasn't, right. it wasn't pretty, you know. You're but right. if it's done, you know, with loved ones in the comfort of a home or a nice facility, not in a van down by the river, you know. Right, it, it, exactly. It's a bit different. Yeah, may, I mean, maybe maybe there's more more issues with the methods, but I don't know. My guess is back then it was probably uh, either these life-ending medications didn't exist or they're very, very hard to come by. My mother just texted me, no euthanizing me. <laughs> Here we go. We have it on the record. If something happens to uh, Renee's mom, this will be used. This, this podcast will be used as evidence. Right. All right, so uh, Tim Scott has dropped out of the presidential race. Obviously, that we're going to start seeing more and more of this because, um, you know, obviously Donald Trump's the presumed winner. And I think, I, to be honest, I, I don't know why you would uh, continue pushing along unless you're trying to build your profile. But he jumps in and he jumps out and he says that he's not going to endorse anybody. The numbers are in from Wednesday's night's Republican debate on NBC brought in 7.5 million viewers. That's down from the one in September. That one had nine and a half million viewers. The first one in September had, I'm sorry, the first one in August had 12 million viewers. And we see in a trend. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we kind of predicted this. Yeah. Something that could actually be a ratings bonanza, though, 
would be televising any of Donald Trump's pending court cases. I would watch uh, it. You know what? I hate to admit it, but I would, too. And he's he's actually working with his old nemesis, the media, to maybe make this happen, Renee. Yeah, well, the problem is, is that, you know, this is never this is not how it's supposed to go. Uh, They said that, you know, it it, the the Justice Department is opposing the effort, arguing uh, that the judge overseeing the case does not have the authority to ignore the longstanding nationwide policy against cameras in the federal courtrooms. The trial scheduled to begin on March 4th. Uh, Trump saying, I want this trial to be seen by everybody in the world. Of course uh, he does. I know. He says, the prosecution wishes to continue this travesty in darkness, and I want sunlight. Lawyers for Trump wrote in the court papers filed late Friday that all Americans should be able to observe what they character- characterize as a politically motivated prosecution of the Republican frontrunner for his party's 2024 nomination. Um, the defense also suggested that Trump will try to use the trial as a platform to repeat his unfounded claims that the 2020 election that he lost to Joe Biden was stolen from him. Well, on top of that, he would fundraise so much money off this. Nobody right. is better at playing hero martyr than Donald Trump. So, of course, he wants cameras in the courtroom so, because I wonder if the timing was different, if they would have a different tune on this, if this, you know, if this wasn't election time. Uh, who would have a different tune if they would, you know, change the stance and maybe allow consider allowing cameras in the courtroom because yeah, of I, that? Yeah, I, I think I, I still think it's an uphill battle. I think that, uh, you know, like you said, um, we don't even know if anyone has the standing to change those laws. Um, but like we said, uh, Renee, I, li- I, I like to say to myself, I won't watch it, but of course I'm going to watch it. I might watch it so much I may even grow my hair out into a blonde bo- uh, into a bob and start talking like Nancy Grace. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, it, it'd be such I, a train that's, wreck. That's quite a that's quite a visual. <laughs> Renee, you said you were just getting a drink of water, but you've been gone for a half hour. <laughs> what were you doing in that time? I guess my Nancy Grace sounds like Dr. Phil. Yeah, right. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, you know what? It's a good time to just break. Let's it's first thing Mike Pars. It's Renee Vitale. And we bring in the crew from JR Morning, Guy, Lloyd, and Jamie. And Lloyd, you got your pipes warmed up this morning? <coughs> <laughs> oh, we're down the field. <laughs> yeah. Again and again and again. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That will never and get old. <laughs> I am all lathered up in the Kool-Aid this morning. Yes. Uh, man, you know, Renee and, and I two. were talking. Seven and two. You were going to be eight and two by the time those Green Bay Packers come into Ford Field uh, for Thanksgiving. And Renee and I were talking about it earlier. Um, you know, the hype, the hype is real. You had Jim Nance and Tony Romo both saying that uh, we could be seeing this team in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, Jim somewhere. Nance, Lions in Las Vegas in the same sentence. <laughs> I, would have thought. I really trust Tony Romo, and he said, I went into the week saying I know they were good, but I didn't know how complete this football team was. Everybody out here thinking about the top teams in the NFC, put them there. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I had some echoes to past, dam- you know, my, my my damaged psyche from 65 years as a Lions fan. <laughs> yep. I mean, those Cam Sutton penalties, right? Yeah. The the um, Taylor Decker penalty that cost us a touchdown. Oh, yeah. 
The only thing that res- really restored my faith, Jameson Williams block. blocking. Yep. <laughs> that was epic. This yeah. kid. We ran he was some looking sound. To- yeah. Last night that that play, that 75-yard touchdown was not supposed that was not the play they called. Oops. Oops. Yeah, and they just checked down to this run play. They had the wrong package on the well, field. Listen, my mom's 91 years old. I'm over at my mom's house. We're watching the game. She doesn't know these players, but she sees, you know, the back of the shirt, so she sees the guy make a touchdown and so next time she sees a lion running, she says, "Is that Gibbs?" Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom. That's that's good. Hey. We we got to win this one for Mama Jackson. That's, That's going right. to be our. There you go. <laughs> yeah, really. Those goal line stands were hazardous to anybody's oh, health, man. God. I don't know how well, they don't get hurt on every play. It's so violent. And especially did you notice- that. Go, go ahead, Renee. Hey, did you notice once again? It sounded like you were at a Lions it game did. I heard at the home. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, I know people who went who are Lions fans who are just drinking the Kool-Aid, making yeah. plans, and it's it's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. I heard one guy on the radio, he uh, was from Tempe, Arizona, and he was a Lions fan, and he drove to see his Lions. He's that's the closest question. one. Is this becoming America's team? Like the Cowboys of, of your? Yeah, because I think they're easy to root for, and people love Dan Campbell. Sure, why not? Yeah. It's a good yeah, underdog definitely. story. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Dan Dan Campbell kind of became America's sweetheart last season with with hard knocks. And that decision to go for it on on fourth down when they were within field goal range uh, with two minutes left. Year one, a a year one Dan Campbell team, they would not have converted. And we all be sitting here this morning going, (laughs) what's he doing? What? But now now, you know, we have so much confidence in it. Not only do we expect it, I was going to be mad if they didn't go for it. Yeah, fourth and five. I mean, you just look at that and then you know. go, that is an incredible expression of, of trust and faith. And you're you're right. He was he three did. for four, right? Uh he was four for five on fourth down. And he did not want the he did not want that team to have that ball in the end. He he wanted to keep the ball, so he did what right. he had well, to do. Well, to Guy's point, the defense was especially the secondary allowing Keenan Allen to <laughs> run all over. So <laughs> yes. you don't want Herbert to get that ball back. That's right. Yeah. I mean, earlier in the season, there were times where the defense had to keep us in the game until the the, the offense decided to wake up and get it going. So this week, it was the offense's turn. The offense's turn to have the defenses back, but. That, that's exactly right. I don't think anybody wanted the Chargers to get that ball back because they, they were kind of scoring at will, will like the Lions were. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah. All right. Lois so has we're got be... some things to say. Well, we're going to be talking with him a little bit later. All right. It's uh, And you know what? I didn't even have time to explain to everyone what bet means. But I think by now everybody has, has translated that uh, J.J. McCarthy tweet. J.R. Morning coming up. Artificial intelligence seems to be the big question mark of our time. How will it affect every aspect of our lives, and will it render us as human beings obsolete? And it seems that there's some disagreement between big corporations and small businesses on how it should be regulated. Chris Renwick talks to Garrett DeVink, technology reporter for The Washington Post on JR Afternoon. So there have been some pretty high-level talks all the way up to the President of the United States with with tech leaders that are on the forefront of AI technology. And, and there does seem to be an agreement that there, there should be some guardrails in place, some, some ground rules before this technology really, really takes off. But there are still, there are still companies out there that are skeptical of those guardrails. 
even though there seems to be a consensus up at the top. Garrett Devink is a tech reporter at the Washington Post, and he joins us. Garrett, good to have you. Thanks for having me. So what is this apprehension from some in Silicon Valley about regulations on AI? Yeah, so over the last you know year, as things like ChatGPT and all these image generators that have popped up, really showing that you know the capabilities of AI tech is kind of rocketing ahead, there's been all these conversations about how to build some regulation. And, you know, surprisingly, the biggest companies that are kind of most powerful when it comes to AI, you know, thinking about Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, which is the company that made ChatGPT, they've all gone to Congress and said, look, yeah, regulate us, which is, you know, a little unexpected for companies to sort of support that. And so a lot of other companies, smaller companies who maybe don't have that kind of power, don't have, you know, millions and millions to spend on lobbyists, they're sort of skeptical and they're saying, well, you know, maybe these companies are pushing for laws that might benefit them, but might make it harder for smaller companies that don't have those same resources to compete with them. So that's kind of the situation we're in right now. When it comes to these discussions with these companies and government officials, where where do they stand on the the progress of, of some of these ground rules? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of it has just been conversation, and over the years we've seen tons of conversation about all kinds of tech regulation. And essentially here in the U.S. at least, nothing has really happened because, you know, we have such political gridlock, and those lobbyists are really powerful and kind of generally shutting things down. But when it comes to AI, there does seem to be, you know, this sort of emerging idea that there should be some kind of licensing regime. So if you think about the FDA and the way that they test medicines before they go out to the public – You know, they spend months and years sometimes testing, making sure things are safe before they allow companies to then go and sell it to real people. They're sort of suggesting maybe we should do something similar for AI algorithms. So, you know, a company might come up with a new powerful AI algorithm that can do all sorts of things. And before being able to put that into real products or release it to the public, allowing people to do what they want with it, they need to send it to the government. The government, you know, plays around with it for a, for a while, tries to see, you know, can I do anything? Can I create misinformation with this? If, if I asked it, ask it to do something, does it, you know, show a lot of bias or, you know, racism or anything like that before allowing it to kind of go out to the public? So that's the main idea that you see emerging here in the U.S., but also in other countries. The U.K. is talking about it. Europe's talking about it. So that's kind of where we are. Do some of these smaller companies feel like these these guardrails would stifle their progress into what can be created through their AI platforms? Yeah, I think the big concern is that if you do have to send your AI to the government to get signed off before you can, you know, start selling it, that's something that, you know, requires time. It's something that requires Uh, you know, just being able to kind of sustain your business while you wait for the government to decide whether you can move forward or not. And I think the smaller companies feel that, you know, the bigger companies, they have all the engineers, the lawyers to be able to to do that, to meet those kinds of requirements, maybe even to lobby governments, you know, in support of their own tools. Whereas if you and I just started our own AI company and, you know, we took something that was open source, which is, you know, technology that's just kind of freely available and we started tweaking, tweaking it, making it unique and started to build our own product, would that mean we would have to go and then wait six months for the government to, you know, say that, okay, it's safe before we're allowed to start seeing if people even want to buy it? And so that's kind of the concern. But, you know, I, you know, it's also important to sort of have that skepticism too, which is, you know, 
generally, you know, a lot of companies are kind of skeptical of, of AI regulation in the first place. And one of the ways that they can stop the government from doing it is by scaring them into thinking that it's going to cut into innovation. And so I think the, the, the main thing is, you know, AI is such a big question mark. We have no idea whether this technology will really disrupt our lives in the way that some people are saying or whether it's just going to be something that will sort of fade into the background and we won't be talking much about it six months from now. So it, it's very open-ended right now. I'm so glad you, you included it, your, your piece in the Washington Post about Sam Altman, who's the CEO of, of OpenAI, who's the, the parent company of ChatGPT. Um, he told uh, lawmakers that if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. And so I, I do wonder if, to a certain extent, lawmakers see where maybe they were, they were, they were almost oblivious to the powers of social media. Is there a is there a sense that they don't want to make that same mistake twice? If they if they can get involved and work with these companies early on, it doesn't escalate into a situation where things get out of hand. I think that's a, definitely a dynamic that's going on. I mean, we saw all sorts of congressional hearings about social media, but really only after the fact, after, you know, apps like Facebook had really become super, super powerful in our society, were used, you know, became a big factor in politics, uh, ideas spreading on those platforms during the pandemic, you know, all sorts of conspiracy theories spreading on those platforms, you know, making people change their political opinions, change decisions about their own health care. And I, I think, that the politicians felt that, oh, they, they really missed out on that one. You know, they want to be involved. They want to be, you know, show to their voters that they know what's going on in the world, that they're on top of things, that, that they've got things under control. And I and so I think they felt a little chastised by that. And this time with AI, you know, whether it becomes a big deal or not, they feel, oh, well, let's get ahead of it in some way.